Hey guys, I'm Adam Rapport, and this is the Bon Appetit Foodcast. All right, this week we've got Carla Lally Music, our food director, interviewing two grilling experts, Christina Leckie and Samin Nosrat. Christina is the chef at Reynard here in Brooklyn at the White Hotel. And Samin is the author of Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, the James Beard Award-winning cookbook that if you don't have, I highly recommend you should pick up. Uh, it's one of the sort of, I know funnest isn't really a word, but it's the, one of the funnest cookbooks to read. Super educational, informative, uh, beautifully illustrated, tons of great recipes, and more importantly, teaches you how to cook. Uh, just like they teach you today how to grill uh, with all sorts of tips and instructions from the three of them. But before we get started, uh, a reminder to sign up for our newsletter. We do have a newsletter now for the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Um, you got to go to tinyletter.com slash foodcast. And if you do that, you'll get a behind the scenes look at how we put the foodcast together. You'll get links to the recipes we talk about, links to articles, all sorts of good stuff. That's tinyletter.com slash foodcast. All right. Here is Carla with Christina and Samin. Are you in your bed, Samin? How is um, winter winter weather in San Francisco? Jesus, man, you guys. I just ate oatmeal and I'm like cuddled <laughs> under a blanket. August in San Francisco. I know, it's a thing. Someone I, I don't know, someone on Instagram was like uh, biking yesterday, like posted on Instagram, like chilly bike ride home is 60 degrees. <laughs> We're having an opposite experience. Yeah, it's right very now. much summer. All right, so Samin, you're in San Francisco, California. It's freezing cold. Technically, I'm in Berkeley. Oh, pardon me. Okay, Berkeley, California, cuddled up under Not the blankets. That's a difference. And I'm sitting here with Christina in the fine borough of Manhattan, where it is so hot out that. It just makes me cranky. I've been mad for days. It's so sticky and it's just so hot and relentless. And also I was in Sicily until like Saturday night. And so I'm especially cranky because of that. And then I came back and I was like, why is everybody indoors all day (laughs) instead of at the beach with a spritz? This is terrible. It really is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not here to cry about my vacation. We are here to talk about grilling. This is uh, the first annual accidentally on purpose all-female conversation about cooking over live fire. So I'm honored to have both of you. <laughs> I'm honored to have both of you with me um, because you are grillers who I admire, and both of you have like such amazing s- styles who I've I've gotten to witness in very different um, scenarios. So the first time that I really saw Samin, like run a grill was when we were shooting our story that that ran last summer two summers ago how long ago was that Samin? we shot it two years ago and it ran last year geez louise um and that was on a farm in upstate new york a beautiful flower farm that belongs to saipua and that was yeah, one of the most incredible outdoor grills i had ever seen constructed Describe what was happening, because there were really two scenarios. Okay. Um, Well, my friend Sarah's farm has no kitchen inside, so um, they cook everything outside. And any time that we have a party, 
it seems like the guest list grows. So every time I'm like, okay, we have to make it, we have to make it really fun and easy and nice and exciting for whoever's cooking outside, which is usually me. So mm-hmm. um, it started the first time I, I cooked Thanksgiving there. I built this little. We used to cook over sort of oil barrels that just had old oven grates in them, and mm. that was the grill, like split in half, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but that's very there were Brooklyn. A whole bunch of cinder blocks laying around, so I built an oven. Well, or what I thought of as an oven (laughs) (laughs) out of cinder blocks. So I just sort of created like a little three-sided structure and built the fire underneath so that I could bake on it. And then I used an upturned, like galvanized tin as the, uh, like the top of the oven. And I couldn't believe that it worked. So I like baked cookies in there. We baked a pie in there. We baked morning, like buns in there. Um... And it was really kind of just bananas. So then I sort of was awakened to the possibility of what a cinder block could do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so true. then I was like, okay, I'm going to build the Cadillac of grills for myself. So um, we bought 100 cinder blocks and built, like, raised them up uh, to about waist level. Yeah, it was and a very then, nice um, counter height, as I recall. Yeah, it was that really was amazing to not have to crouch. Can you, you know, it was like right. incredible. <laughs> and then I just ordered cast iron grill grates from like webrestaurantstore.com and set them up. And what's amazing is that when I um, was like a baby cook at Chez Panisse, the grills in the hearth there had been constructed by, you know, by like some custom person had made these welder person had made them specifically to a height of eight inches because and that was what i was told was the ideal height for grill to be off of the floor of the grill you know for the grates to be off and a cinder block is precisely eight and a half inches so it was this thing by the time you sit the grill grate into them they're exactly eight inches off so it was kind of the ideal accidental beautiful (laughs) perfect thing where you could sit the um grill grates down and they were just like the perfect height off of the floor of the grill and then we had all these old bricks and we built a wall around it so that was really this amazing dual sided it was as nice as working in any restaurant that thing was still even better because the the views are alive you know and you've got (laughs) and it's outdoors and you have like cooking outdoors is the key yeah Yeah, as long as it's not raining area where um we just had a big fire burning and I had seen in the sort of outdoor shade garden, she had this like old rusty trellis. So we brought the trellis over and placed it over a bed of just logs burning. And then I don't know when I had the idea, but I was like, we should just hang a whole bunch of chickens off of this. (laughs) So then we just hung off a bunch of chickens off of that and we called it guitar string chicken and it was a very fun thing. Um, Yeah. So for people, we do have photographs of this. So um, you can go, you can go online at bonappetit.com and we have some, we have some pictures of what the, the flower, the iron flower trellis uh, hanging structure. And when Samin says she just built a big fire, like literally cleared a patch of earth and put a ton of logs there, set them aflame and hung chickens from from the sky. So that was um, pretty mind mind blowing. And then I had completely forgotten about the little tiny closed oven that we had. Either, did we have we had little biscotti or there were cookies or something was happening in there biscuits um, and it did it absolutely worked putting you know a piece of dough or whatever it is inside of a lidded cast iron pot and putting it inside of your little cinder block oven and it really does remind you of how 
you know, how primitive grilling really is. Outdoor kitchens can be these very, you know, these, this very glossy stainless steel with your own sink and a, you know, an under counter refrigerator filled with ice cold modellos. But like really what you need to grill outdoors is like <laughs> sometimes just a bunch of cinder blocks, a cast iron grill grate and um, and a match. And then someone extremely talented, of course, manning the grill. You're not turning this over to <laughs> um, your next door neighbor. And so that was the first time, Samin, that I saw you grilling, and it really was exciting because of how different it was um, really treating that that surface as, you know, getting out of the idea of being in a Weber a Weber kettle, which is a, is a great way to grill, don't get me wrong, but sort of realizing that what you need is a fire-safe table that you can put burning logs onto. Exactly. And then the grill grates, just to that description. So those cast iron grill grates, you can buy, they're, they're really mostly sold as inserts for either um, gas or, or charcoal grills. So they come, if you search for them online, generally, generally you'll find them in a semicircle shape for fitting into a round Weber grill or in kind of these rectangular shapes and those fit into gas grills, but you can just repurpose them um, and set them up either on cinder blocks or um, fire bricks or whatever to raise them. So I'm just curious, like, do you still feel like eight inches is the perfect height for grilling or when you're working? Absolutely. If you can't have, sorry to jump in, I got so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday, actually, I was teaching like a young woman to grill and we were working in a Weber and we both kind of reached this moment where we wished the thing were a little bit hotter. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, the ideal thing is to have something where you can adjust the height. That is the dream is to have an adjust height adjustable. Maybe next time I'll invent a cinder block (laughs) where you can slide the the thing in. But um, But it is like... very... In absence of an adjustable grill, like I think, I I really do think eight inches is pretty is pretty perfect. Eight, eight or nine inches. inches, yeah. Okay, so um, I want to talk to Christina about your, you know, where when you started grilling because your situation at Reynard in Brooklyn is one of the most beautiful indoor wood burning oven setups that I've ever seen where there's so many different areas and so much real estate and different heights and different compartments. So describe for us like what your daily, uh, your daily life with live fire looks like. Um, well, because it's in a hotel, we're open for breakfast. So I think what I, you know, I think I used to in the past, like dread those 6am shifts, but what's really beautiful about working with the wood hearth where I work is, you know, the sun is shining or coming in through the big windows of the uh, restaurant super early in the morning and we get to like start a fire. You know, we're literally cooking the toast directly on the on the wood and, you know, roasting fruits for yogurt that we make, mm-hmm. you know, so I feel like for breakfast, it's kind of a unique situation and to like start your day starting a fire. Um, that's going to continue through 11 p.m. at night is sort of, um, I don't know, it's just very calming and very relaxing. And I feel like a lot of the cooks feel the same when they come in. I think no matter what they had going on the night before, the amount of uh, sleep or lack of sleep they may have gotten, I think it all sort of like washes over once 
the once we're getting the fire started and it's a really like I said just a beautiful way to start the day yeah you can't park anyone in front I mean it's like the feeling that you have when you're in front of a campfire or the feeling that you have as a kid you know striking match for the first time there's something about it that really grabs a hundred percent of your attention um and then when you add the act of cooking sure then it's this dynamic situation yeah Yeah, it's Um, great Describe a little bit, um, for people who haven't been to the White Hotel and seen Reynard, how the hearth is set up. Because, sure. you know, you do have that, you, do you, you have grills that can be adjusted. So yeah. just sort of like, what are the, zo- what are the zones so look like? So we basically have a hanging rack above the hearth, which like Samin had done with her trellis, we use to hang chickens and we hang uh, vegetables and just a bunch of different herbs and stuff for drying. Um, so that hangs directly above the fire, and we do a lot of all of our bacon and all of our smoking. Mm-hmm. That's how we use to smoke um, all of our various whole animal products that we that we do throughout the day. Um, and then we have a plancha. Um, the plancha is about, I think, six and a half to seven inches off the base of the hearth, and that's a pretty thick piece of metal that was like a custom. It was like a piece of scrap that somebody had found, very thick metal that we use to cook directly on um, searing searing fish, searing searing vegetables, cooking, you know, certain things start to finish. So that's your high heat. So you have like a hanging situation sure. for being a little bit further mm-hmm. away from the yeah, it's slow, fire, low, but you're getting yeah, all that smoky totally. flavor. And this is like hot and fast. Yeah, plancha usually is pretty hot and fast. We sometimes put uh, whole logs directly underneath and start a little fire just because we're not worried about the wood sort of tainting the flavor we're just basically using it as a heating source gotcha in the center of the hearth is a little like burn box that we've designed just that we put logs there we usually start in the morning with like tearing apart some of the logs to get little twigs and stuff to start a small fire right underneath and that burns down so we get basically we turn the logs into charcoal so that's turning into like an ember factory basically totally so is it like one of those u-shaped ones that it's has a, it's yeah it's a it's a u-shape it's more it's not it's got it doesn't have rounded edges it, the edges are squared but the the they're all pretty similar and it's on little feet and it's so on little feet so logs. it's elevated so as the logs sort of burn down embers and little pieces of charcoal hopefully bigger pieces of charcoal kind of fall down and then you can just shovel those wherever and then you we want shovel them those to be. yeah usually if the plancha needs some more assistance or if the grills need some assistance we push those underneath the grill and so for both of you i'm going to um uh, start with you christina just because we're t- we're here but where did you what was your first experience grilling over grilling um i mean hanging out with family spending summers with my grandparents my grandfather was very adamant no matter how hot it would be would be i think the the italian in him was being outside Uh had a grill set up directly inside of his garden um we would we would be grilling every night you know to my grandmother's sort of annoyance (laughs) because because it would take so long you know but i think it was learning for me the process and the patience of that um, and then also just with friends upstate, you know, starting really small using like uh, fire rings and, you know, again, like Samin, like grabbing a cinder block here, grabbing a cinder block, then just sort of seeing what's around you and 
sort of playing playing along with that. This is like uh, the Cinderblock people, if yeah. you're out there. <laughs> Sponsorship, welcome. Yeah. Um, who knew that the real, the key piece of grilling equipment you need is a Cinderblock and some chicken wire. I yeah. saw my uh, no, a chef that I used to work with once made um, a fire very much like that, but it was much lower to the ground, so maybe three cinder blocks high, and then he um, he just had big pieces of like chicken wire that he stretched over the top of it. So it was just a big rectangular shape, probably like three feet by five feet. So pretty big, set it up in his uncle's, um, in his uncle's driveway, put a bunch of fire in it, put the chicken wire on top and was like burning at a very high. And we melted, we melted the tarmac on the, on the, on the surface of the driveway. That yeah. was a fun day, but it worked. It yeah. was great. Um, and Samin, your, where did you, when did you start grilling? So in Iran, the like probably national dish is rice with kebabs. And so every sort of father, uncle, dad, brother is always grilling. So my dad definitely was grilling in our backyard, but I don't think it ever occurred to me to be participate in that. So I definitely did not even stand very close to a fire until I started cooking. And even then I was terrified of it. When I grill in my backyard, um, and I, I have I have a Weber, but I we recently had built, we built like an open, um, a hearth, a covered brick hearth that just has fire brick in the mm-hmm. bottom and is also um, brick and cinder block with fire, lined with fire brick. And it's very much like um, the one at Tarlow's house was a big yeah. inspiration. But but I also have a Weber. And like every time I light a grill, my children appear from at every corner of the whatever media <laughs> hole that they've been in. Like as soon as they smell <laughs> smoke, they're like, hi, mom, can I play with coals? And I'm like, what kind of a co- I don't, what, what, are, what who am I raising? Can I play with coals? But then the next thing I do is like give them a cast iron skillet with a bunch of coals. So I'm perpetuating this um, uh, little pyromaniac behavior. But so how? why do you think you were why do you think you stayed away um i don't i i'm sure there were gender dynamics involved you know like my that probably were never clearly articulated to me but my mom you know my mom was always inside cooking all day every day and Mm -hmm. then maybe three times a year my dad would grill and so it just seemed like the dad thing to do i don't know it wasn't and um i didn't have a ton of interest in cooking as a a kid anyway Mm -hmm. so i just i don't know i mean i love the smell of smoke but my dad was so particular. Also, Iranian grilling sort of breaks every rule mm. of <laughs> grilling that I, as a cook, like teach other people. Like, they're, I'm always like, stay away from the coal. Do not cook over the coal. Do not cook directly <laughs> over the fire. You know, and then they're like basically directly putting the meat on the coal. Like, wow. <laughs> every single thing is the opposite. And I'm sure my dad used like Kingsford Burkett. Like, right. everything that I have been, it's been like squeezed out of me as a cook. <laughs> <laughs> was probably what my dad was doing. Um, and so then professionally... So I don't know, there was just some very particular idea that he had about how to do it, and it wasn't, like, really a place for children, I think. Right. So it just didn't seem like a place for me. I don't know. It didn't feel very inviting or... So you were... Even that, like, exciting, yeah. Right. So the you were a part of it in terms of it was part of how food was being created and how these meals were being prepared. So all of the flavors and the action of it and the dishes, but as far as like then starting to grill as an adult, were you in a, in a restaurant? 
Yeah, I, it was once I was in Chez Panisse where there's a huge hearth in the kitchen. And so, I, you know, I was always watching other people do it very skillfully. It seemed completely intimidating. And I remember the first time I had to build a fire. <laughs> <laughs> it was for it was for the most benign possible task, which was we had run out of room on the stove, mm-hmm. and I needed to cook soup. So they said, build a fire, set up the tripod, and cook your soup over this over this fire. And to me, that just seemed like this most epic mental <laughs> leap. Like, how on earth? <laughs> you, the soup <laughs> was, was supposed to take five minutes to heat up. <laughs> Three hours and later. Also, like, how would I not burn it and ruin it? You know, when all you, if all you do is you think about it, it's like a gas flame is fire too. You right. know, the idea that you can turn it up or down, I think, is makes it a lot more manageable. Right. Whereas a fire, you just have to control it. And there wasn't anyone there to really explain it to me. All of those very, very basic things, because they assumed that I had already done that, like mental work. Right. But um, yeah, and so then once I learned how to do that, eventually. I started with little tasks like grilling bread or grilling a few vegetables and then eventually up to more expensive things that, that oh, were here. That's a good <laughs> trajectory. <laughs> yeah, growing up, so for me, my mom always grilled um, and she was head griller and it was just hilarious to me the idea that, you know, that, that sort of stereotypical like 50s nuclear family like when it's grilling night the like dad gets the you know the big spatula out and goes to flip the burgers like we used to joke about that in my family because my dad was like oh hell no he was like I'm good thank you like it was just funny to me to think that you know my mom did all the cooking so it just seemed normal that she also did the grilling which seemed harder than indoor cooking is like grilling so then why if you're going to go outside would she then turn it over to the guy who like doesn't cook anything ever you know um so I think I really absorbed that not that I necessarily and I've talked about this before my mom is such an amazing cook that I wasn't one of those kids who felt like I needed to cook with her because she had it on lock like everything was going fine um so it was just one of those things where I was very aware of her magical powers as a cook and very much enjoyed being on the receiving end of that and then as an adult when I started cooking professionally um I think it it was like a natural extension of like what you just said Simeon that cooking over a grill is like fire is fire right so sort of get that mental hurdle of like well I'm comfortable with the idea that there's fire under this pot inside. And yes, I can control it up and down, but sort of applying that kind of thinking once you're over a grill. Building a fire is, a, is another thing that's still sometimes, I don't know, I, you know, can elude me. If I don't have a chimney, I'm like, it could take 40 minutes to get a fire going. Um, so let's talk about that in just picking up on I think people are so intimidated by the idea of even if they feel confident and comfortable as cooks grilling is this thing that's like oh no I don't I don't grill so from your perspective Christina how how would you how how do you think about grilling over live fire in a way that could make it more accessible to someone who is might think of themselves as a capable cook but hasn't taken that leap yet like where where would you start where would you start and what advice would you give I think understanding that it's going to be hot and understanding that it's just heat and it's not necessarily that scary and I think just like I think people psych themselves out 
by the the nature of how hot it's going to get and not being able to control that I think is a huge thing and I think just making sure that they I mean in terms of wood it's always hard to light a fire when the wood is not of great quality Mm -hmm. or is very wet in that feels a little bit stressful or intimidating I do think you made a great point by using a chimney to get started or even uh, buying like natural briquette like the lump charcoal to get started and using that in addition to wood I think using that combo especially when you're just starting out is a great sort of not crutch but like sort of tip that will make your life a lot easier yeah I keep both on hand just because sometimes I'm in the Weber and and sometimes now I have a big green egg which is a whole other story but that's been really exciting but just as far as getting getting a fire going a small even the mini chimney of of hardwood um, can be then, you know, just dumped into your grill and you can throw a couple of logs, logs over that. Yeah. Real, but you don't even need hardwood necessarily, right? Not necessarily, So yeah. between hardwood briquettes and Kingsford and hardwood, like if you're starting out, what, what would you tell people to use? I mean, I would buy the, like the lump, the lump coal for sure. And that's just the natural, basically, it's what I'm turning in my restaurant, the wood into, which is just, which is just carbonized wood, uh, wood, which turns into charcoal. Right. Um, I think the more natural one, it tends to burn. It lasts longer. Mm -hmm. And as far as burning, I think the, the heat is a little more even it's less ashy so there's not going to be a lot of like ash everywhere which kind of again you know you throw all these elements and you know there's ash flying it's hot you know that adds to stress um i think and yeah so i just think using sort of large natural uh lump charcoal charcoal is the best and then for just getting started out and then certainly feel free to add the additional wood the wood is meant to add elements of flavor also helping to prolong the sort of fire keep it sort of going in a way because sometimes you can burn two chimneys of charcoal and by the time you know if you're not sort of organized with your food setup you know that fire you know could almost diminish to a point where you might get stressed out and it'd be a little too low right so using some addition of some wood pieces definitely helps sort of keep the fire going going yeah in a slower way that you're not so like okay got to get it on right now Right. Um, Yeah, I always I I think that's smart and having even a backup chimney or sort of knowing when to add new coals. Um, You were going to say something else. I was just going to say having a pair of like leather, like uh, like oven gloves, but Mm -hmm. not like really big, like clunky ones, like really fitting sort of will help a lot too because I think people are so intimidated by how hot it is and sort of that working around the fire in that way it just gives you a little protection and you feel a little more in control I think is a huge for shifting the coals around for even grabbing the chimney even though you're going to use a towel I do think just having that extra layer of padding and protection for your hands sort of again I think will make it feel a little less stressful and a little you know, you won't be as, yeah, like nervous about getting near the fire. Right, because you can't really use your thumb and your pinky to like pick something that's at an incendiary um, level of temperature. (laughs) Like you need to be able to feel like you're you're in charge. So um, a good pair of insulated but not clunky leather gloves and maybe some long tongs and a chimney. Long tongs and a chimney, (laughs) yeah. Um, Samin, when you're teaching people to grills, it sounds like maybe you were just yesterday. How do you kind of use 
regular indoor cooking or do you use like that kind of thinking about about cooking to help people feel comfortable in front of a grill? This is one of those funny little tricks. It will seem like I'm talking about something random and then I'll bring it over. But it took me, you know, deep into becoming a cooking teacher before I realized that I could teach people who have an electric stove Mm. to do um, this trick where, you know, because a big problem with electric stoves is those coils take forever to heat up or, or turn down. Right. And so, and so that's a big reason why people are like, oh, I prefer a gas stove because you can control it so much better. And so I realized that I could just tell people to be prepared. <laughs> and so if they knew that they were cooking something over high heat that then they needed to turn immediately down, they could just have a second burner already going on low heat. Oh, smart. So they could move their pot over <laughs> instead of waiting, you know, and then you immediately go to the right level of heat. And so it's this idea where on an electric stove you can create different heat zones and you move your food rather than like turning up or down your fire. So gotcha. it's kind of the same thing where um, I think it's just you're doing exactly the same thing to the food that you're so used to doing inside on a gas grill or on a, over a gas um, stove, but you're just doing it in a slightly different way. So instead of having a knob that you get to turn up or down, if you ha- are prepared with different zones, so if you do all of the beautiful work that Christina just described of creating a really healthy live fire with a nice zone of fuel that you're constantly adding to so you're not going to run out of fuel, you really want almost, I mean, most people would call it like a two-zone fire, but I kind of call it a three-zone fire. So you have your fuel zone that mm-hmm. you would never cook over. That's where you're just constantly adding new wood or new charcoal into and that's what's burning down and then once those burn down and there's really no no flame or very little flame left you can scoop some over into one area and that's your hot your Mm -hmm. your hot fire that's your high flame (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. that's high heat and then as that dies down you can have a third area that you scoop over to which is your sort of low heat so if you always have a fuel area a high heat area and a low heat area then you have options, right? And so you're not trapped (laughs) with, like, um, all of your burgers or all of your sausages or all of your pork chops or whatever over, like, some flaming hot thing that, um, you know, starts flaring up and you have nowhere to go and you don't know what to do. And you also don't get into the opposite problem of running out of fuel and not being able to turn the thing up. Yeah, that really stinks. In your kitchen, you have, like, a massive hearth you know, and I'm sure you have so many different zones because you're cooking all sorts of different stuff and you have to have options, right? Like to me, especially on those days where I do these big projects where it's like cooking for many, many people over a lot of fire. I mean, it's almost one human's full-time job to just be managing the fire. Totally. hundred percent. Fire and keep managing it. So it's kind of, you know, for one, for regular, like, outdoor barbecue in your backyard you don't need to you know a whole person doesn't have to be doing it but you do always have to be thinking about that because the more sort of you think ahead about it and the more confident you are about having those zones the less stressful everything else will be because by the time you're a griller you already know you know how to sear a piece of meat on the inside you already know how to cook a chicken breast you know in a pan you already know how to like sear it and cook it off So you're just doing the same thing outside. It's just what freaks people out is if they don't have the ability to turn up or down the heat. Right. 
that that's great. So if you're cooking from recipes, for example, from from bonappetit.com or the magazine, we often will say prepare a grill for high indirect heat. And that what that means is without getting into the fuel part, which is a really uh, a great tip and one that that's like awesome service. It just means that you have a part of the grill where maybe you've banked the coals over to one side so that they're they're hotter, they're maybe pushed into a larger pile so they're a little bit closer to the grill grates and then a part of the fire where maybe it's a smaller pile or even where the coals are, are not there at all and it's just ambient heat on that on that side. And what and what Samin is advocating is then to have like another little section cordoned off for adding new stuff because I think, Samin, and correct me if I'm wrong, the reason why you don't want to grill directly over your new fuel is when you first add it, it's going to throw off a ton of smoke and be like rather heavy and acrid. And if you grill over that, yes, we want some smoky flavor, but it's just going to be like kind of like licking a lump of coal, like yeah. a very, very heavy, um, not smoke exactly. It's all, yeah, I, I attribute this taste to being like a, like the way a burning building smells, like oh, a yeah. fire. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's just not, it's, there's no food there. It just yeah. tastes like um, fuel. And then those also will go through a period once they're getting going and there's a lot of flame where it's just too, too hot um, that unless you want just to get your blackened cat going it's not really an enjoyable <laughs> level of heat either you know a thousand degrees is good for some things but it's hard to directly grill over that high of a flame and then you kind of scooch stuff around so um Samin do you want to add anything as far as like essential grilling tools because I think the non-puffy glove is really important that isn't like a mitten right you want to have yeah, your five your five fingers yeah. involved we need tongs to get us far enough away from the fire so that we can actually like manage the things that are on it a chimney is is really important um what would you add as like essential grilling tools i would say a a heavy duty brush is probably the Mm -hmm. last thing because i'm just like so crazy about getting debris off of the grill grates and just keeping them really clean so that you don't have because otherwise who knows what you made last week is going to cook onto your <laughs> chicken this time <laughs> or um, just a lot of times like ash sticks to that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of always brushing down the grill grates and then usually I'll have a dirty old or not dirty, a clean old <laughs> kitchen towel that I very lightly oil and use that to sort of do like a last clean over the grill grate before I put food down. Right. So you're brushing off any caked on, baked on stuff um, to get down to your grates that preferably are cast iron, but you know, they're the, yeah, all of the, always, any standard issue grill grate is going to be able to handle it. And um, that little light coating of oil at the last second. And for that, you do you just use vegetable oil? Yeah, just whatever light whatever. oil. Whatever. Yeah, you're not using your like finest. Your yeah. oleo nuevo. <laughs> For me, I will add one more thing to my essential grilling equipment. I try I like always forget to put an apron on, but when you're grilling, you really you really want to and I'm always the person like reaching into the charcoal bag with my bare hands and I was, "Why are you doing that? It doesn't matter. I'll just wipe it on my apron." Um but the other thing <laughs> that I really um if, especially if you're entertaining and you're having dinner and like we said, the fire always takes a little bit longer to get going than you think and then the sun fades so i'm a big headlamp person 
Um, I love. Oh, I love it. Love my headlamp, and uh, I will rock a headlamp like completely shamelessly. Um, and if that fails, like a small child with a flashlight will do. Um, I when I was <laughs> I was just away. My and my girl in my backyard. Like we don't have really. We have little string lights, but it's not anything that's really going to help out. But if they made like a reading, you know those clip-on reading lamps. I'm sure that somebody does make these, but those little clip-on ones that. Yeah clip onto your book and then have the little snaky thing. I want one of those to clip on, but it needs to be able to clip on to like two brick width of, um, of, yeah, like of thickness. A cinder block. Yeah. A cinder block width <laughs> clamp for, a, for some kind of a stage light. Um, because you know, things get dark and it's also hard. One of the things that is easy to see when you're cooking indoors is to see when the surface of whatever you're cooking starts to get brown. Like it's pretty easy to peek, you know, to turn your head to the side and kind of see against the surface. But with a grill, it's really hard to see what's going on underneath. And so I find myself a lot of times getting like having to crouch down low and then shine a light like from the underside of the grill grate because I also don't want to turn something before it's ready. And then you can see things like actually cooking in real life. I enjoy that. So a good light as well, I would add to that list. Yeah, that's, that's a great tip. I have two related questions. Um, if you're teaching, if you were going to teach someone to grill and you've, you've taught them how to set up their fire, they've got a, a good quality grill, they've got their equipment. So first recipe, Christina, what, what are you going to like, hey, let's try to make, let's start out with something that you're going to be successful at. Let's make. Um, I sort of like the challenge of, and I also think it's not that difficult of doing like a spatchcock chicken mm. um, because one, it's a big enough thing that it's, you know, and also so spatchcock just so or you take the backbone out of the chicken, it's flat. Um, I think that's a great way of teaching somebody how to use indirect heat mm-hmm. um, because you would want to start that um, skin side down on a, on a very low area of the grill. So you've got your zoned out grill going and you're putting the spatchcock chicken skin side down over the cooler side yeah and then do you cover the grill when you do it or do you let it go with the grill open I let it I let it I could I would do a mix of both um depending on if I had other things to do like if I was running around preparing a salad or you know just depends on what I'm doing I would also vouch for having some sort of press or brick Mm -hmm. or uh, like a little metal cast iron press to sort of gently press the back of it because then it'll also be cooking the other side with that press. And I think if you have a press covering it is less necessary. And you cho- you're, I'm surprised, I'm not questioning, but like s- surprised and interested in going with like a larger piece of protein. So yeah. is there an advantage to cooking something that like I, takes a little bit longer? I think it, yes, because I think it gives you time to sort of, get your groove and sort of see what's happening um rather than I've had a lot of success this I feel like this is what I've taught people when I've taught one because people just enjoy eating chicken but also um I do feel like it's a bigger thing than people would normally ever cook on their own um and again because it's larger I think you have more leeway and best advice for turning something over like when you turn when you go to turn um, that piece of protein that's got skin side down. Sure. What's, what is I your advice? I feel like this is test, where people get like sure. really tripped up is like they go to flip it and then just like 
I think it's about like gently testing. So like lifting the leg a little bit to see if it's stuck. I do think your grill needs to be like, I think if we're talking about like Samin zone, it's like in the medium to low zone, the grill still needs to have heat. Otherwise it's definitely going to stick. So pulling up from the leg. I think checking and to see if your leg is sort of unhinged and then going to the other side and checking and then taking like a tongue in the center of the basically the center of the two thighs and where the breast part is and lifting that part up from that like pointy part. Yeah, exactly. uh And pulling that sort of away from you to sort of see where you're at. And I think if you're stuck, you're going to want to use the spatula a little bit underneath the spatula sort of invert it and just slightly un like loosening the skin to the to the grate. But if it's not, you can literally just lift that up and flip it over and awesome. then let that go really slowly. Okay, whole chickens under brick. This is we are advocating for it. So beginners get 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 <laughs> spatchcocking and get out there because that description. I mean, you kind of can't you can't go wrong. You're low and slow gradual heat yeah. weighting it down turning it over from yeah. the pointy end of the breast yeah and I think uh you can ask any butcher to spatchcock if you don't feel comfortable um again it's it is a pretty simplistic move with just scissors work really well for it and yeah and if also, they don't know spatchcock if they give you a funny word just say butterfly it yeah yeah and then having like a little like cake tester or something to check the breast I mean internally like you want it to be 160 165 but I you know, I do, I just check with a small cake tester. If the leg meat is reading hot, I put it against my lip and I'm like, okay, that's hot. It's pretty much going to be cooked. Okay. So you're taking a, a long, thin cake tester, or like an ordinary like cake tester, or skewer, skewer, but it metal, metal something that's sure. going to transmit Conduct, heat. Yeah. Right. And then holding that like right Under in the spot and on, in between your chin and your lower lip, which is very um, sensitive and hot is hot hot is hot hot is hot and hot should be cooked and And if and if that freaks you out just get yourself a digital thermometer no shame i keep mine in my pocket of my trusty apron all right so samin what's your (laughs) you can do you can do it griller um go-to recipe I hope you say grilled well, toast. I have to say Christina stole mine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> no, I don't mean it in a bad way. I guess there's we have a consensus. But, um, <laughs> get, get everybody I get also, your chicken I love on. your surprise, Carla, mm-hmm. at the idea of a whole chicken. <laughs> well, just, <laughs> but you I know. But I think the reason, I mean, I can understand why it would be kind of scary because I guess it's big. But I, I, there are a few other reasons why I would add to why I think doing a whole spatchcock chicken is a great beginner project. One thing Chicken is cheap, mm, yeah, smart. <laughs> right? So there's not this like additional fear and anxiety that you're going to ruin some expensive steak. Yeah. So um, and also everybody knows, and there's sort of like no wrong way to check that a chicken's done. Whereas a steak, you have this fear that you overcooked it or undercooked it. A chicken, you know, you have to go until it's cooked all the way through, and you know it's cooked all the way through when this, you know, the thigh or the yeah, the, like the right. part of this. You're not trying to hit temperature. So, you're just hitting one temperature, exactly. and that temperature is so, cooked. I'm. I. I think to me, it's a great. It's a great idea. And also, the other thing is, I think because of television commercials, <laughs> and sort of just the, the idea of that we have in our minds as humans when we think of fire and cooking over fire, we imagine it to be this thing where we're going over flame or going over very high heat. Um, it's nice to challenge and broaden that idea by 
by offering a dish that really requires a much more gentle heat. Right. If you throw a chicken over a high heat or, or over flame, you know, the skin's going to burn in two minutes or less. And oh, yeah. then you're going to have raw chicken. And everybody knows, you know, that you don't want the chicken to be raw. So it's a nice, it's just a really, I think, an intuitive way to learn how to, and the thing about it too also, I will say, if you burn the skin, you can take it off and still eat delicious chicken meat. And True. if you burn the opposite side, it's just the bones. So right. if, you go, yeah. if something does go wrong, yeah. it's not you're, you. You still have something to eat for dinner. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> when the when and if the breast skin is kind of where you want it to be, but the chicken's underdone, just turn it onto the bone side and let it go the rest of the way. Because yeah. you're right, that will just sort of stay stay down there. Okay, but but spatchcock chicken was claimed, so. What is your... Oh, I, oh, I, oh, you're still going to make me do another one? <laughs> Just tell us how you grill toast. Uh, oh, no, I was not prepared for this. <laughs> um, okay, the other, another thing that I think would be quite simple, like really, really simple, is, well, either a burger or um, kebabs, I think, with mm. like ground, ground meat kebabs are also another really simple thing you said ground meat kebabs yeah like um like kufta style kebabs you know like the kinds that we i grew up eating like iranian food so that it's oh because i have a whole other tangent i'm just going to briefly go down which is like one of my number one pet peeves in the whole world is um like shish kebabs or kebabs where you have many different things on the (laughs) together i'm so glad you brought this up Okay, like a piece of bell pepper and a piece of onion and a piece of chicken and a piece of mushroom, yeah. and you just sort of skewer all this stuff and jam it all on there together and then they throw it on the fire. They and don't want to cook all together. Of those things are going to cook at different rates. And so, like, by the time yeah, your yep. meat is done, your onion is totally burnt, or vice versa, the raw onion is raw. Like, who wants a raw, crunchy onion? This oh is God, why I people hate. hate so- but this is why kebabs are like have a terrible name because every yes, so like the suggested <laughs> serving you know photo is like got a button mushroom and a hunk of green bell pepper and a shrimp and it's like terrible a terrible idea. No, don't do it. So how do you do? So like- how do you get the ground meat on the? How do you make a ground ground meat so that it will go on the kebab? Um, you, the like the sort of Middle Eastern Mediterranean way is to use get like so you season up your meat with whatever seasonings you want like I, I like lamb with a little bit of saffron and salt and maybe even a little turmeric in there it can be super simple and I always cook off a little piece and taste it to make mm. sure the seasoning is right mm-hmm. and then you can take basically a palmful and just fold your fingers around it into little torpedoes <laughs> and then um, and torpedo and then like sort of skewer those little torpedoes if you wanted to be really gourmet you could you could skewer them onto rosemary's you know rosemary skewers that you had like taken all the rosemary off of or left a little bit on the end or you could just use a wooden skewer or a metal skewer and yeah it's and honestly you don't even need the skewer for 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 the little torpedoes you can just use tongs like you can go even kebab i think is just the word for little lump little piece right <laughs> and like what it level even necessarily have to imply this this skewer but um the skewer is nice for turning it if you if you want to have that what level heat 
Um, probably like I would go in, in like a medium range. So I think of high heat as something where I'm just really more concerned about browning the thing on the outside. And I think of like the lower heats as, as how to actually let the heat penetrate without burning the outside. So for a little kebab that's like the size of a fist, it's probably going to take about anywhere from, let's say, about three minutes per side, you know, to brown. I it's funny. That. I have this so fresh in my mind because yesterday, for the past two days, I was testing recipes with a young, like a young cook who I was teaching how to grill. And we did one day we had Kingsford, the next day we had mesquite, and we mm. were doing a variety of different things, fish, chicken, beef. And we had the timer out, which is not something I normally have. And I had this moment where I was like, oh, it pretty much always takes about three minutes to brown anything, mm. like over medium, medium high heat. So it's kind of a nice thing to know it takes three to four minutes to brown to get like that nice browning and here's a now i'm turning it into my interview i have a question for you guys <laughs> which or, or <laughs> take it away so all right christina i want to know what is your philosophy about moving stuff like what are you a are you a put it down and never move it till you flip and you only flip once which is one philosophy that i've heard i've also heard the put it down and move it like crazy. Mm -hmm. So are you a mover of foods <laughs> <laughs> once they are down or are you a not mover? Teach me your ways. Um, I, it depends. If I'm cooking a large, like for example, if at the restaurant we're cooking like a large ribeye or something, I am put it down where it's hot enough that you're going to hear it sizzle and also you know that it's not going to stick. Um, I do turn it I'm not necessarily like I think the whole like thing of like cross hatching I'm not that I'm not mm -hmm. I'm less I want caramelization I want a crust that I'm concerned about that I'm interested in I'm I'm also like somebody who does things where I take the meat off let it rest for two minutes and then put it back on mm. I'm kind of yeah on off I'm I think why I enjoy grilling in the restaurant environment is because I can be so like nuancy and sort of like fiddle with it a lot you've got the real estate to yeah. like pull it um, over here push it over there but I, I do think establishing a char and what I try to tell my cooks because obviously during service that you know they're juggling a lot of different things and they can obviously get a little bit rushed or nervous is if they can't move it around a lot just to keep it in a you know medium heat area where it can at least establish a char and then at the very least just to be able to flip it so you're getting at least cooking it evenly on either side i think is important yeah i think so, i learned this the you know sort of what i learned in restaurant kitchens was to like kill it on the first side get a really dark sear turn it over and finish the cooking on the second side and it was like almost like don't you don't move it until you absolutely have to and in my in my older wiser years I've become more of a when you can turn it go ahead and turn it especially for yeah. larger cuts and as long as you're not in danger of then compromising the skin of something by turning it too many times, like a delicate piece of fish or, you yeah, know, even with spatchcock, if, sure. if you turn it back and forth, like more than twice, you're you're risking losing that beautiful skin. But I, I don't know. I like the evenness that you get with sort of manipulating something yeah. throughout the I cooking. I tend to move things around for sure. I mean... I want it to kind of cook evenly, I think, and I definitely don't want to just, yeah, get a char on one side. I want it to be kind of cooked evenly on both sides. And I think I cook lamb, pork, and beef very similar, and then certainly 
the nuances of fish, it's a different ball game. And same, I think, chicken as well, because you're dealing with skin. I think that this is what is very enlightening for me is sort of getting getting away from that idea that people have of the again that that mental image of the grill with with sparks flying and orange flames shooting up and like it's so hot and you know I think that's what people think of when they think about grilling and then from talking to you guys sort of getting embracing a little bit more that that medium medium high place where you can be active as a cook and also be in control and not be in like it in you know just a a high high heat burning um charring situation um and i i hope that 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 opens the door for people who feel confident sauteing but think grilling is something else it's like fire is fire you just get to be outdoors um, so I'm getting the look from Emma, which means it's time to move into our lightning round. Okay, so um, this is just going to be a bunch of really quick little questions, kind of in a yes or no, either or. You got to just say the first thing that comes to mind. And uh, Samin, finish the sentence. It's not summer until I've grilled. Peaches peaches so nice and have you yet not yet oh okay that means it's still (laughs) summer so that's okay oh yeah our Uh, summer here doesn't start till mid-september so that's a good point (laughs) it's like you have a winter interlude (laughs) um christina for you it's not summer until i've grilled corn corn yeah i haven't grilled corn yet either so it's still summer favorite thing to grill favorite thing to grill is uh, eggplant. Eggplant. Samin. Chicken. Chicken. <laughs> love it. I love to grill turkey. Mm. Not going to lie. I also love to mm. grill greens, but that's two answers. So uh, grilled pineapple. Yes or no? Samin. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> okay. I, I will withhold my answer. Um, <laughs> you can say no. <laughs> I mean, I just feel like it's kind of in that kebab place for me. It's like, is it good? Oh, yeah. I would say definitely not if it's on a kebab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Grilled pineapple kebab, my specialty. You know what? Actually, so we ran, I'm, I'm going to take it back now because we did a very cool grilled pineapple in the magazine last year, but it was, it was a whole pineapple that had not mm. had. So in my mind, when I think grilled pineapple, I think the triangles, right? And like maybe somebody's going to put them on a grilled pizza and that would be really the ultimate insult. Um, But yeah, maybe I'll grill the whole pineapple because it was kind of delicious. All right. I take it back. Uh, Samin, flames or embers? Embers. Christina, grilled s'mores? Yes or no? Not for me, but (laughs) for the many. That's the only person we care about. Um, All right. Also to Christina, grilled clams in a pan or on the grates? I like them in a pan. In a pan. Samin? I think in a pan because you want all that juice. juice. You don't want to waste all the yummy juices. Clam pan, my new restaurant <laughs> where we don't serve gold pineapple. We already talked about kebabs. All right, so I'll, I'll give this one to Samin because of your previous answer. So chicken, breast or thigh? And you can't say spatchcock. Thigh, thigh, thigh. Thigh, thigh, definitely. Skin on? Yeah. Okay, phew. Um, and Christina, pork... Rib chop or shoulder steak? 
uh, shoulder steak. Same. Oh my god, you guys, we you are on all in the same zone. The last one, grilled avocado. Have you ever? I'm allergic. So. Allergic. <laughs> Excellent. That's a great <laughs> reason to say no. What about you, Samin? You're going to grill I an avocado? And I'm not really particularly interested. I mean, I would eat it if you served it to me, but I'm not ever going <laughs> to probably do that. There you have it, folks. You can get a kebab, but you may not have a grilled avocado. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much for uh, talking thank grilling you. with me. I can't kind of now I just can't wait for the weekend. Oh, it's going to be so fun. Hey, Christina, if I come, will you teach me how to cook? (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking about coming out to you. It sounds nice and cozy out in Berkeley. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.